because you asked for it, we're delivering. Just somewhere west of the Ward Place Gate, we bring you the first and possibly last episode of Left Coast Pirates. Welcome to our podcast, everybody. To my right, I've got Mike Dizzy Dizzeri, class of 2001, and I am Tommy Chokoharski, class of 1997, and we're going to bring you possibly nothing important in the next 45 minutes to an hour or so. Mike, how are you doing? Pleasure to be here, Tom. I just don't know if I can keep up the same energy level you just brought to the table, but I'll do the best that I can. Where do you, where do you want to start today? Well, we might as well start with how last year ended up. Let's talk about what we can't call the core four because there were more than four of them in the big picture. But let's talk about how Angel, Desi, Casey, and all the rest kind of stack up from last year historically. Are we satisfied or wherever we go with this? Well, I, I don't know if you could start off and say it's the core four. I mean, this is ultimately a collective group that has to include Isaiah Whitehead as part of this evaluation. I mean, what Seton Hall came from in the early years of Kevin Willard and their lack of success was completely turned on its head by, you know, Isaiah spearheading that recruiting class. So if we're going to look at it in, in a vacuum, I, I still want to look at the overall three-year picture of what they accomplished as a group, getting back to the NCAA tournament, what they accomplished in the NCAA tournament, and where that kind of ranks against uh, some of the previous Seton Hall windows of success that we've been uh, we've been a part of over the years. So. I want to. I want to say it's like a group of five, and if you want to throw Enzi in that group too, I mean he was part of the 2004 recruiting class. People kind of forget that he was a partial qualifier academically that year and had to sit out. Remind me again why he had to sit out that year. I, I look. I don't understand the NCAA qualification rules, but I think it has something to do with SAT scores or, or something with his transcripts. But and, and now he's leading the business school as he's a, he's a model citizen at, at Seton Hall. He is a, he's a, he's on top of all the puff pieces that you read this summer. We got to give we got to tip our cap to NZ for the yeoman work he's doing in the classroom. Let, let's all, let's not talk about the summer yet. We can get into that later on and, and bash on that. But all right. All right, so, so, so I apologize for digressing into my Michael Enzi uh, classroom spiel, but you, you asked me how I thought the overall team did, and I, you know what, I, I think it goes towards where you kind of put yourself as a fan. I mean, I, I, I want to say that I'm a diehard fan of this organization and, and, and not, a, not a casual fan that kind of jumps on the bandwagon when we have good years. That class felt like it was a once-in-a-lifetime or generational-type recruiting class where we I thought we should have done a lot more. I mean, that, that team had a sweet 16 type of chemistry and, and makeup with four seniors. I mean, how, how often are we going to see four seniors, 3,000 point scorers on an NCAA roster in today's day and age anymore? We, we, we will never see it again, especially with the way the NCAA rules are, are coming in. But so let, let, let's talk about this as, as a whole, I guess. You know, I think it peaked at that Big East tournament win. And unfortunately, it's been two years of downward turn. We should have had a lot more success with these guys. I, there's no way to go about it. The the year after Whitehead left, I'll give them that. You know, we made the tournament. We probably should have won that first round game. But last year has to be looked at as a disappointment. We were never in play for that Big East regular season title. We choked it away in the tournament, in the Big East tournament. And we did the best we could in the NCAAs, we ran into Kansas and we played them straight up. Look, I, I, I absolutely think it's fair. I, but I, I think what sometimes gets lost in this discussion is 
disappointment can be interpreted as his failure. And, and this overall group was not a failure. You know, at, at the end of the day, they did accomplish getting back to a, a third straight NCAA tour- tournament appearance. Uh, no team at Seton Hall history has ever been to four. So there's an accomplishment there. They were borderline top 25. They were a top 25 preseason team. You know, they, they didn't get embarrassed in the tournament against Kansas. I mean, they, they pushed them to the wire. There were, there were moments in that game when you felt like it was Seton Hall's opportunity to win that and move on to the Sweet 16. So I, I just want to make sure that we don't take disappointment and equate it to failure relative to what happened last year. No, and it's definitely disappointment, not failure. I love that group. How many times did I text you KC in capital letters with exclamation points because he hit a big shot? How many times am I screaming Desi's name where my kids are wondering <laughs> what the heck is going on? I mean, my kids are at the point where they're singing the fight song with us. And, and Oh, I get it. No, I, I, I think the disappointment comes with the fact that you saw the potential that this group had, and there were moments where if they had taken one more positive step forward – we could see that ceiling or that potential kind of shine through. And they just felt like opportunity after opportunity, they missed those moments. And we can go through last season and kind of really drill it down to those individual moments. I, I can highlight a couple for you and sit there and say, hey, we're, we're top 25 playing against Rhode Island on Thanksgiving night. And, you know, Rhode Island's missing their two best players. And, and we kind of, hey, we say we shit the bed and we, we lose to an inferior team at that moment. And we're, we're dropping out of the top 25. We, we work our way back up the rankings and have a chance to be in the top 10 the way that the rankings were breaking. And we lose, unfortunately, on the road to Rutgers. I mean, I, I mean that's just like a knife in the heart of any diehard Seton Hall fan. And when you look at how Rutgers finished out the season, you look back and go, opportunity to be in the top 10 nationally. And we lost to Rutgers. And I think some fans also lose sight of the fact that, yeah, we did finish third in the Big East. But if we don't win that last home game against Butler, we're the, we're the number seven team in the final standings, and we're playing on the opening night of the Big East tournament. And if that were the case, how would you feel as a fan looking back from that, that type of perspective? There were one game here or there where the, the balance of the, the season could have been looked at completely differently. And, and I think a lot of us ends up becoming prisoners of the moment. I think if you kind of look at this team as a whole and what they accomplished, I don't know how much they match up with previous sex, uh, sets of success that we've had here. I mean, we get, yes, we got to three state straight NCAAs. We have an opportunity to get to a fourth, which a Seton Hall team has never done. But what have we done in the NCAAs? If you look in the past, there's about four sections of time where you could say we had better success. And our one win doesn't match up. I mean, that matches up basically to what we did during Louis Orr's time. I get it. I get it. But I mean, once again, as a Seton Hall fan, I, I, it's like I said, I, I, you know how I feel about where we finished last year. I, I am on that disappointment train, but I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate for the other side of the argument here. I mean, we went through some really lean years. We had to deal with the PR fiascos of the Bobby Gonzalez's. We had to deal with Kevin Willard trying to get his feet under him. I I don't even know if he has his feet under him yet. But the point is, his first three or four years at the helm, we never thought we were going to get off the mat. And where we finished over the last three seasons, that's night and day from where where the program was at. So to sit there and just know that we were playing positive basketball, winning basketball, maybe we didn't reach the pinnacle where we thought they could go. People look at that and say that that is a positive step. Therefore, it is success. And and I'll, I'll take it in a different vein. It is a positive success because 
This is the first time in my life I've actually watched NBA Summer League basketball, and I've followed box scores for crying out loud. So, so, so did you shed a tear when Desi got cut last week? I did. I did. I didn't. I don't think he got a fair shake. It's probably not the best place for him in LA, but you know it. But I got to watch Desi and Angel play summer league games. You know, thank goodness it's a West Coast thing. I, I followed KC. He got very limited time over there in Detroit. But at least he got time. And now Ish got signed for the Long Island Nets. That's a good thing. We've talked about this before. <laughs> hey, it, we always said if Ish could develop some sort of offensive game... He'd be a good NBA player. He can play defense. He can guard four different I, I, positions. I, I just don't think Ish is at the three and D capabilities yet. No, for the next level. But no, no, absolutely not. But still, if he had a little more offense, he's long. He's he runs hard. He plays good D. There's there's a team out there for him. Look, p- part of building the foundation of a of a program is you got to be able to put these kids to the next level. That's what the best players want. So you have to be able to show. The, the next recruiting class that you're developing the players beyond the, the college game. So I, I get it. So yes, we, we could take positives from that class as well and say that their development professionally has also helped and made it a success. I think when we start comparing it to some of the previous regimes that you had mentioned, the, the Andre Barrett core group with him and Marcus Toniel, if you go back and look at the Sheen, Sheen Holloway group uh, or the PJ groups, I mean, I, I think there was more of a love affair with some of those teams. They, they had a more of an underdog type of feel. I think there was an expectation with this last year's team. Yes, yes, absolutely. This team had the talent to go Sweet 16. It should have been in play for the Big East title. Villanova was good. Villanova wasn't out of wasn't knocking doors down. I mean, they had their problems this year, and, and we could have done a little better. So I like so I, I think it's fair to say that the cloud that's gonna hang over this group is what is truly their legacy. To actually win the Big East title for the first time in 30-plus years, but to not maybe have the tournament success, I think this is going to be an ongoing debate that we can talk about on future podcasts over and over again. But the next step is really where, where do we think that success or disappointment is going to translate in, into the new generation of Pirates for this upcoming season? And I think there's a lot of question marks into the team going in. So, Well, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll say something positive. I am more excited about this season than I've been for like three years. Well, because you have the unknown. Well, I, I know absolutely zero about how it, we're going to it, do it. It's hard to be disappointed when you don't have a high expectation. I had no, I didn't know what we were getting into in that year when we won the Big East tournament. But, but, it, but is, that, is that fair? Because I'm reading a lot of things that people believe this team could technically make it back to a fourth straight NCAA tournament. So what, what's the right expectation? I, I don't think that's an appropriate expectation at this point. We've got so many ifs. We're talking about we're, we're we're ifing three fifths of our starting five. As was, if I, the point guard position can be stabilized, if uh, Mamu takes the next step, if Miles well, can well, become well, a starting player, maybe we should take a step back for our listeners and kind of take a, a high level overview of what this roster is going to be consisted of. Because I think we've grown to know the four names that we talked about for the last ten or fifteen minutes, but I don't think they know even who's on this roster. You got one player in the starting five that is returning from last year and everybody else is a brand new face if you're telling me that NZ is not going to start. So let, let's go let's go position by position on this starting five, talk about the depth of the roster, and I, I think the fan base needs to understand how you want to evaluate some of those new faces or people you expect to step up is going to really shape 
shape the overview of this team as you as you want to say right so where, where do you want to start well we gotta start where we should start and that's with the man miles powell okay i'm, I'm okay to start there i mean he's gonna have a lot on his shoulders this year don't don't you think oh he well he's gonna be the man and from the puff pieces i've read he's taking a big leadership big vocal uh role with this team which he's gonna have to he's gonna on the court he's gonna have to take you know, a bigger set of shots. They're going to have to actually finally get him the ball in appropriate places and not just say, hey, Miles, we need a three. Shoot it from wherever you got it. Okay. Uh, so I, I'll, I'll challenge you on this. I, I, I love Miles. I, I like his attitude. I like everything he's saying in the offseason. But l- let me push back. So are we going to get to see the Miles Powell who becomes a junior and completely matures? Or are we going to see the same Miles Powell who was getting into fisticuffs against, like, you know, teams like Wagner in the non-conference last year and getting chucked out of a game? Or are we going to find the Miles Powell who, when Desi went down with an injury late in the season and he was asked to to shoulder more of the burden offensively and take more shots, all of a sudden we got the four out of 18 Miles Powell because that's what I'm concerned about going into this season. You can only hope that coming in into his junior year and understanding that he's going to be the lead man on this team that he's going to mature. I don't I, I don't take a lot of umbrage with kids getting into things like that. You're talking about 18-year-old and 19-year-old Miles Powell getting into something on, you know, at the garden with St. John's. I get it. But this entire this entire team is now 18 and 19 years old. So I mean, they're going to be looking to him for the that kind of leadership. So he's got to clean that up. And you hope by his junior year, he's had enough experience where he can do that. And he understands that. And that Willard now is in his ear all day long. I get it. I get it. Look, and, and I don't doubt you're absolutely going to get somewhere from 18 to 20 points a game for Miles this year. It, it, it's just the amount of shots that he's going to get, the way that we're going to run our offense through him, it's just going to naturally gravitate that way. My question is, is it going to be 18 to 20 points efficiently? So I remember back in the day when we were going through this this lull, right, with the with the Bobby Gonzalez era. For those fans out there, you remember a guy named Jeremy Hazel, you know, second leading scorer of all time in our program history. But nobody would put Jeremy into the offensive efficiency category, and it probably is what kind of like led us to lose a lot of games during that time period. We just we got a lot of shots up, we scored some points, but it wasn't it wasn't high quality offense. So a night when Jeremy would go off, you know, we would pull off some big upsets. So I think you're going to see that from this team. But if Miles is that wildly inconsistent, I think that's going to be a problem on this team offensively. I, I think that he can be that guy efficiently, but that's there's time to tell. And I think it's more of an understanding of the rest of the, the, the roster breakdown to see if he's going to be asked to do that much kind of work. So let's, let's talk about who the supporting cast is. Well, the only other sure thing I think we got on this roster right now is Thompson. But, I mean, does anybody even know what they're getting from Thompson at this point? You and I, you know, we, we got really excited when we got this top 100 recruit that should have probably taken picked Seton Hall two years ago. I think if we had Thompson on this team with the core four, whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, a year and a half ago as part of that NCAA tournament run, but he chose Syracuse. It happens. We brought the boy back home. He sat out last year. He's, what, a, almost a double-digit scorer in the ACC as a freshman. I'm excited, but you're asking him to – fill the role of what Delgado did. And from what I understand, two completely different types of players. Oh, absolutely. But you also hope that he spent a year practicing with those guys. Okay. Improving his skill set. You know, if you take his numbers from Syracuse, sorry, I said Syracuse. 
he over a 40 minute period he's a 20 and 10 guy now you know we all know how that works it doesn't you can't extrapolate numbers like that but if we can get 15 and 8 out of Sure, I mean, he's and got, with the amount of shots he's going to take, he should get fifteen and eight. I'm going to I'm going to continue to play devil's advocate here. I mean, it, people are used to Delgado being the man on the post, manning the block for the Pirates for the last four years. Really didn't have anybody else other than Ish and Enzi doing some dirty work. Nobody's offensive game translated to you know playing underneath the basket. Everything that we hear is that Thompson's more of a pick and pop four. And you're, you're talking about replacing the Big East all-time leader in rebounding with a guy who wants to dance around the perimeter. So if the offensive style of the team is going to be more Golden State Warrior, move the ball, get shots up, okay. But I'm concerned about what we have in the middle, period. Oh, I, I, absolutely. We if, if he's truly a pick-and-pop guy and then Mamu's coming in and he okay. wants to sit there as a stretch four. Can we not pick on Mamu yet? Can we get to no, Mamu in a couple I'm minutes? Not, I mean, I'm not picking on him, but, you know, who's going to pick up the boards? Who's going who's gonna to crash? I, I don't know. I honestly don't know. So if you're asking me offensively, will I, will I get some support as Thompson being my number two? No doubt. All right. We might as well go to Mamu because I'm thinking he is starting. You don't – NG last year showed he's better off the bench in short spurts, get a couple putback dunks, Get someone to run a pick and roll for him, please. Okay, so once again, I feel like we're going to fight the entire time on this damn podcast. I, I don't think Kevin's going to reward Mama until he shows it. So knowing Kevin's MO and the way he's run his teams in the past, he's already named NZ as a team captain. He hasn't named team captain in like three years. And he names Powell and NZ team captains. This guy's a fifth-year starter, or fifth-year senior, excuse me. He's in your starting rotation until Mamu proves that he's taking the next step. If Mamu doesn't take the next step, this year is going to be painful we, to watch. We have many other fundamental issues with this team, which I think we'll talk about in a second, but you're asking me who's my starting five. Do, do I believe Mamu should be in the starting five? Yes. Will he be there from day one? No. Okay, so let, let's, let's, let's take it a step this way. Let's take it like we did last year. We called our, our four the niche. <laughs> I don't think we got a nickname yet, but all right. Is, is our four... The combination of Mamu and, and, and Michael, or is, I'll take is, that Thompson, right now. is Thompson my four, and I'm just playing a three, four-headed, two-headed monster at the center position? Well, well I, I'm I'm putting Thompson as a in the five hole just because we don't have anything else. And but you know one, you know he's going to start, and you know a NZ Mamu. All right, so then why don't we look at the why don't we look at the front court as a collective whole amongst the four and five okay. positions? So let's talk NZ right. and Mamu now. Well, let's talk NZ and Mamu. I I, I think. Mamu's game, Mamu, excuse me, not Mamu, Enzi's game is a little limited if you ask me. I think most of his offense has been predicated off other guys creating for him or him doing the dirty work for offensive putbacks. There's nothing that I've seen in his four years that his game is elevated to what Ish did, which where he added that like 10 to 15 foot jump shot as time went by. And we even got some three-point production from Ish last year. I don't think you're going to see any of that from Enzi. No, and the bigger problem with Enzi is, is that he disappears. There are times last year where you looked at the box score and there was nothing in the box score. What did NG do? Because if somebody else doesn't create shots for you, it's very easy to disappear. Sure. But so, again, I don't care that he's captain. He could have that C on his chest all he wants. Mamu has got to step up and get some production there. Okay, so be- between the two, give, give, me a, uh, give me a statistical target that you want to get. I, I think we need 14 and 8. Which is kind of what we had last 14 year. 14 right? and 10. And, and uh, way too often did we get more like a 10 and 6. From the yeah, two of them. absolutely. absolutely. So, but I, that's what we need. And we need Mamu to pull the trigger. 
here, here's why I think if you're going to talk about the front court and the, the, the progression from last year that Mamu is, is so much more important, I truly thought he showed signs of a legit pick-and-pop four. And there were moments last year where, you know, once he got a little more confidence, he could shoot the three. He showed us that. There were times where he built up some confidence where if he got him the ball in the middle of the paint at the high post, he could actually put the ball for a dribble or two and attack the basket. He could actually facilitate and make a decent pass. He could even grab a rebound and kind of facilitate the break a little bit. The kids showed signs, and I think maybe there's some overhype in what they expected last year as a freshman, but he showed the skill sets to say sophomore, junior year, if he continues to put those skills into play and, and, and get more confidence, he could be an impressive piece. I would just like to remind you that <laughs> basically because he's European, people were already comparing him to Arturis Karnishibus. Okay. And I said I, I from was the one of those guys. I, I was one of those guys. What do you want me to do? We'll be lucky in my opinion, to get more John Leahy out of him than Arturis. I'm going to go there, and please don't make fun of me. I'd be happy if you got a comparative Patrick Auda because I don't I don't think Patrick got a fair a, a fair evaluation of what he did for this team. You want Mamo to blow a knee out? What's going on here? I don't here? want Mamo to have the foot problems that Auda had, by the way. Didn't have blow a knee out. He had some, like, plantar fasciitis crap. I, I don't know. But... Auda was the consummate team player. I mean, so if, if Mamo's going to be more of that glue guy in the front court, I'm not asking him to be a superstar, but like jack of all trades, kind of balance out what you're getting from the rest of your front court. Let's be honest. The rest of our front court on the bench is a bunch of potential bruisers that all they're going to bring to the, to the table is a bunch of fouls and maybe some shot blocking, hopefully some rebounding. But you got Brody, you got Gill off of the red shirt transfer, and... I don't think offensively you're going to get much from those guys. That being said, Mamu might give you that eight to ten points. You sign up for that, wouldn't you? Oh, absolutely, and I hope so. I, you know, I'd like him to succeed. I liked what I saw uh, in that one blowout loss. He, they actually gave him some rope, and he did well. He did well in general because he had a point guard actually working with him. But that's neither here nor there at this point. All right, I'd so, like to see him succeed. So, so we agree that the front court potentially could hold its own, but there are a lot of question marks with regards to the supporting cast around Thompson. Lots right? of ifs. Okay. Lots of ifs. Okay, let's go to the three. I, from day one, I loved the athleticism of Miles Kill. I'm, I'm super excited. I, and I, I think if we end up being a running team, there's a good potential of him breaking double digits in points per game. Like, I think what the fans don't know about Miles Kale is that, you know, when we recruited him as a four-star recruit out of Maryland, he, he was Delaware. A... Was it Delaware? Delaware. Okay, Delaware. Point is, kind of an unknown basketball kind of like, you know, hotbed down there, right? And at the time, he was playing public school basketball and still kind of got a national ranking of a 92 and a four-star evaluation on the ESPN kind of uh, evaluation system. Normally, these guys, when they play on the AAU circuit or they play more of the, you know, the, the, the prep school type, type setting, these guys blow up with more national exposure. People say that if Kale would have played in that kind of a setting, we're looking at a top 50 recruit. We actually got him early on in the recruiting process before he truly blew up. So I think there's a huge ceiling here with Kale, and I think he showed it at times last year. Now, Don't now, you? Oh, absolutely. Now, now, what I also saw is a lot of hesitation in his offensive game when they were in the sets. He had, he had even simple problems passing out of the weave, you know. Well, he, uh, so, he was a freshman being a freshman. Absolutely. Though. So if he could calm himself down, realize he can play in the speed that he needs to in the Big East, 
Because we know the defense is going to be there. We know we have nothing to worry about him playing defense. I I actually thought that when Desi kind of slipped to Providence and kind of you know tweaked his knee, and Kale was responsible for stepping up into the starting role, I thought our defense improved last year. I, I thought we played. I thought we played better as a team with what Kale brought to that that side of the the ball. Now, he, he got us what maybe like eight points, ten points a game during that stretch. He wasn't he wasn't backfilling Desi seventeen, but he got he got offense in the flow of the game. He got offense out on transition. He got offense off of his defense. So, I still expect to get that type of production from him as a sophomore. The question is, does he integrate himself into the offensive side of the ball, looking for his own shot? Yeah, that's going to be the key. Um, again, if we start running and gunning, if he can get out on the break a few times, it, it'll make life easier. He, he, he can finish. He's really athletic. And I think that'll help him calm himself in the bigger picture of the game. I thought that once you got to see him play that, that little segment of games at the end of the year, it was, a, it was a stark contrast to when he was getting the limited minutes early in the season. I mean, let, let's go back to the expectations again. You got Kale on a senior-dominated team where everybody wants to kind of get their own shot. He might only get two or three looks a game, which was what was happening early on. You missed the first one or two you put up, and you got a senior-laden team. You're going to be hesitant to continue to chuck up shots. Once he was in a position where he knew that he wasn't looking over his shoulder to get pulled out for Desi, I think he got more in the flow. He was looking to be aggressive offensively. Right. So he's not going to have that now. He's the guy. Okay, we, we, we've got to talk about the elephant in the room. Uh, here we go. The bane of our existence for, I don't know, Five years, six years at this point. Can, can I can I just say it's, it's my biggest pet peeve with the current coach and his recruiting philosophy at this point? What is going to happen at point? What I mean, seriously, what's the last true point guard we had? Sterling Gibbs? No, no. That, that's a, that's a really interesting question to go back in the nine-year tenure of Kevin Willard and define when he's had a true point guard running the show. And everyone's going to sit there and go, "Well, he had Isaiah." No, Isaiah was recruited as a two guard. I mean, he's a he's a unique, amazing athlete that they brought in. So he was able to make that transition, but he has not recruited a pure point guard. You want to go through the list of the guys he recruited that were pure points? Let's do it. We're going to start. We're going to work forward or backwards. Where do you want to go here? Let, let, let's work forward. Right, I gotta go. I gotta go. Let's go backwards so I can show you how long it's been <laughs> since we've had one. Please. I mean, if that's where I was going with this. I mean, the last guy that probably fit that pure mold was was Walker last year. Walker was a true point guard. Uh, yes, Jordan Walker would have been a, uh, a a true point guard had he stayed. Can, can, can we admit, though, that Walker was probably maybe a little prematurely recruited, probably needed a year of prep school, kind of dictated his terms to come to Seton Hall and the role that he was expected to play, and therefore it kind of played out the way that it did? I, 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 I've always been a Jordan Walker fan. I think he was choice B when we – Crapped out on Duval. Oh, he absolutely was. Uh, we had no backup plan other than Walker. My, my point is, I think Walker should have still been here even if we had Duval. And uh, his immaturity was me, me, me on a on a team oriented goal that 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 or you know that group had. I think what hurt him and pardoned upon was his injury. Had he gotten a few minutes against lower caliber teams and probably worked his way in, you could have talked to him into. You know, you're going to get eight minutes a game, ten minutes a game. You're going to get put in nice and slow. All right, let, let, let's do this. We, we could, I could go off on he Jordan. He can't play eight minutes I, against St. Peter's? I, I can go off on Jordan Walker for the next 30 uh, but, minutes but, with, with, with all the backstory that happened with Jordan last look, year. The point was, I'm not going to classify Jordan as a success at, at recruiting the point guard position. No, absolutely not. He would still be here if he was a success. So okay, let's but, go on. That, that's 2017. 2016, 
I had Aaron Gordon. Was he a point guard? I don't think so. No, I didn't think he was a point his guard. His brother either. wasn't a point guard either. Right? Right. I would have taken his brother. But Kevin tried to sell you that he was his backup point guard last year. Was he not? By default, I guess. Was he not ahead of the rotation, ahead of Walker on the rotation? Sure. Okay, so I, I say a failure in 2016's recruiting class. 2015, I had Singh, I had Soffer, and I had Miles Carter. Any of those? No. no. 2014, I go back, we're going to say we had Isaiah. Fine, I say no. 2013, Jared Cena? Oh, jeez. Oh, I, we, we, I thought how, I put him behind. How quickly we forget, but Jared Cena... No, I, 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 all I get in my mind is Cena sucks. Do, Cena sucks. Do, do I want to say that Gibbs transferring in once again as a combo guard again, playing the point? Was he a lead guard or was he a true point guard? I he wasn't a true point guard, but the ball was safe in his hands. I felt more comfortable with with Gibbs running the point than I did last year with KC running the point. You felt comfortable with Gibbs running the point because at the time that Gibbs ran the point, there was no other talent on the roster. There was nobody else you could put the ball in the hands of and say you were okay. I think he did a decent job. Because once again, we were taking positive steps to getting back to relevancy. You know, you win a couple games in the Big East tournament, knock off Nova as the eight seed. Yeah, he's got a little bit of a legacy. But at the end of the day, he was a league guard. He was not a true point guard. True. I'll, I'll, I'll concede. So, so, so the last true point guard that I have evaluated in the Kevin Willard tenure goes back to the Canaries Basketball Association or institu- whatever the heck they were doing over there in that England institution that we plucked, what, like five guys from? Yeah. Harold Carlos, Aaron Jaramapur, my boy Patrick Auda, and good old Tom Mayan. Wow. Tommy wow. Mayan. Uh, there's, a, there's a blast from the past. T- to me, that was the last time that we've had an actual true point guard that we recruited. So, so no, I, I'm concerned. Because every year that we've tried to plug the gap, with guys like Madison Jones, Derek Gordon, different guys to kind of fill into our backcourt to kind of, you know, mask what we're missing. We still have not had a true point guard. Madison Jones would have been a decent backup point. Absolutely. As a starting point, how many times is he going to dribble the ball off his foot? So I, so th- that brings us to where we are today. The, the historical six-year window of what we tried to accomplish at point guard created the white elephant in the room. Nobody else but Kevin and his recruiting flaws. So here we are again. I have McKnight, who transferred from Sacred Heart. Do I need to remind people that Sacred Heart is in the Northeastern Conference of Basketball, probably what, the, the, the lowest-rated Division One NCAA basketball conference? So I, I know he scored 18 and a half a game, but he was a lead combo guard for Sacred Heart. So now he's transferring in, and he's what? A, he's, a, he's, a, he's a Red Shirt junior now, right? Yeah. And, and I have a freshman. And all things say that Nelson's going to be pretty good, but he's a freshman. So I, I, we just outlined that there's a lot of ifs and high ceiling potential, and it's being led by an unknown at the point guard again. Right, and, and I always was sold on the fact that Willard was that point guard coach. <laughs> and, and did we not have Shaw? I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't want to digress here and get into the fact that both of our lead recruiters and coaches on the staff were point guards in their own right within the Big East. So. I, have they done a good job of maybe transitioning that skill set? Fine. We're talking about what's the ceiling of this team as an overview for making a fourth NCAA tournament with a completely rebuilt roster, and I still have no point guard. Uh, again, because of all the ifs, I, I've got no expectations this year. I'm excited. Okay. Well, let, let's talk bench now. Fine. Let's, let's, let's talk, talk about, about the, bench. the bench. So you're going to have your... Do, do we have one? Or is, we just, is there chair, are there vacant chairs right well, now? Well, you'll have either Enzi or, or Mamu coming off the bench. Okay, you know, fine. So you've, you've got some production. Um, 
So yeah, I, and you're, you've got Brody, which is not going to do much. That's five fouls. You've got... Um, can, can, can we talk about Brody? Sure, let's talk about Brody. Why was Brody not on, on last year's roster? Oh, he's taking a year at uh, prep school. Because we, we needed a vacant spot to open up the transfer opportunity to Thompson, which I would have done, you know, 99 out of 100 times. I'm going to do that move over and over again. So Brody takes one for the team, doesn't commit to the, the 17 recruiting class, does a prep year, and could have gone anywhere he wanted to go at that point. Still chose to stay with us. Nobody recruited the guy after that. What are you expecting out of him? Uh, five fouls. I, I, I expect... I'm, I'm in agreement. The guy's, the guy's like, if you look at pictures of the guy, he's a brick house. Right. But uh, that doesn't always translate uh, to basketball. We've had a lot of brick houses over the years. Uh, one's escaping from... Uh, one's escaping me. It was the... It was the Andre Barrett years. He, I saw him play against University of San Francisco in San Francisco when I was living up there. And I looked at him and I said, that's a man. He's going to be crazy good. And... I think he averaged two points over his four years. Well, like I said, I, Brody reminds me of a of a tight end, not not of a not a basketball player at okay. this point. So I'm I don't feel we get much for him. Romero Gill, another five fouls. Oh, okay. So here's my issue with Gill. And I, I feel bad. I'm putting down guys that I haven't seen step on a court in blue and white yet, and I'm already kind of beating them up. But Gill is a seven-two, tra- yeah. JUCO transfer, right? So he's not playing in Division One yet, right? So I'll ask you this. With all the recruiting gurus that are out there, with all the scouts and all the video that we have on these players nowadays, if a guy is 7'2 and can remotely handle a basketball, does he fall into the radar anymore nowadays? No. Someone like that would have been scooped up. So so this guy, we recruit unabated with anybody else going after him. I, I can't set a high expectation. Can he, can he rim protect for us? I'm hoping at 7'2 you can swat a couple shots away, but I'm going to put him in that five foul category again too. So... I'm not feeling much from our bench so far. What are we getting out of Jared Roden? Now, everything I followed over the summertime was that this kid could fill it up. I mean, you look at some of his box scores, and I know it's only high school basketball, but there's games that he's going off for like 30-plus. I I saw a couple nights where he put in like, you know, 40, putting in like, you know, seven, eight, three-pointers. I'm looking at him to make some development and back up Kale on the wing. That's a very young... uh, experience level that we have at the three. I got a sophomore in Kale and I got Roden as a freshman. And it sounds like Roden had a very similar injury to what Kale had last year with his shoulder. So he's been kind of slower in his development to make the transition because of the injury setback as well. So I, I can't put a can't put a lot of expectation on him either. Maybe maybe in a in a year or two, but not right now. Okay. So just so that we're complete and I don't even want an answer because I don't want to badmouth anybody. But the only ones left are, oh, don't do it. Don't do or it. Or Avent's son. It's a good story. It's a good story. Don't do it. And Shavar. Ah, oh, you, you did it. Well, and I'll tell you. Because now, now you're going to make me say negative things about Shavar, and that's just no, not right. I, no, no. Shavar is what he is. But I'll tell you, I've never seen a kid try to get into a box score so hard in my life. Well, because that, that's the role that he had last year. No, no. I, he, t- he would take... As many shots as he needed. You're a walk-on. You've got 30 seconds. That's that's the point. You're a walk-on. You get yours in 30 seconds. He's the trigger. Oh, stop it. Oh, my goodness, Shavar. I I played that role back in my glory days of high school. When you get put in in the last 30 seconds of a ball game, you get yours. 
you know, I averaged a solid point and a half by getting to the foul line for the last 30 seconds of the game. I just hope <laughs> Shavar worked on his game as much as they worked on the ink on his arms. So, so all right, so, he, so here's my issue with Shavar. Shavar and I, I have nothing against him as an individual. But if, once again, if he was that good, he'd be on scholarship already. So my issue is that Shavar is still on this roster, but not in a walk-on capacity. And he's also not a senior where we didn't have the scholarship to give away because we had nobody else in the pipeline. And we're like, hey, here's a nice goodwill gesture for a year. He's got two years to go. So now I've given... Oh, he's got three. He's a sophomore oh, coming my, in this my, year. My apologies. So now I've locked up a scholarship for a, je- a guy who has not shown me that he can be a rotation player. And, and, and that's my point exactly. Where was Shavar going? Nowhere. Was Nowhere. he going to... Like, what was University of Buffalo banging on his door? No. So my point is, you know, he had a role on this roster, and it is what it is. So I don't want to beat up the guy because, you know, the the, the feel good story of his dad being in the military. I I, I it's got a, a lot of positive PR spins, but we're talking about the the makeup of this roster. I, and this isn't this isn't banging on Shavar as a human being. This is banging on a roster decision that probably shouldn't have been made. I mean, Shavar didn't come in and pull a John Yablonski on us. Okay. So so in recap. My bench consists of whatever I'm getting at a Mamu Enzi, right? I got a 7-2 Juco guy that nobody else recruited. I got a I got a defensive end slash linebacker that might give me five fouls. I got a high-ceiling guy that, that has been hurt all summer. I have the opposite of McKnight or Nelson as my backup point guard, and I have a walk-on that we gave a scholarship to. That, that just doesn't give me the confidence with so many question marks that we have on the starting five, that this has is a roster that's deep enough to make an NCAA tournament. That's my concern. Oh, yeah. And, and But, again, we've got those ifs, and those ifs come out positive. We have an interesting team. Okay, so, so don't get me wrong. I, I agree. So there's, there's excitement, there's doubt, there's unknown. And normally when you have a young team that has a lot of unknown pieces, you're going to test it out in the non-conference. And hopefully you're going to build the schedule around an inexperienced team to kind of get their feet wet, maybe get some success against some lesser competition, and build up to a couple of non-conference marquee matchups and get ready for January 1st. Now, since you're bringing up matchups... Well, and that, that's my concern, is that that's not the way this schedule was constituted. Let's, no, so let, let's talk about that. Not in the least bit. This is a very aggressive schedule. It's probably this been, would, the, this been the best schedule we've had in like 20 years. And, and I think the schedule was built around the fact that Gosh, I hope we get a few more recruits. I think that it wasn't, gosh, I hope we get some. I think they expected there to be this carryover effect from the Whitehead class. And it, it just, it hasn't happened. Well, and we could be wrong. Maybe it has, and all these unknowns are going to prove us wrong, but they're going to get thrown into the fryer right right from the get-go. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and we've got and we've got trips, Midwest trips, which I hate. Okay, so, so we're not taking the old-school Syracuse approach of playing all of our non-conference games at home. We're actually going to go challenge ourselves uh, on the road in difficult venues. So let's let's talk about it. Break it down for me. All right, well, th- we got, we got Wagner, which is a gimme. You know, no no challenge there. Followed by an exhibition game in Game 2, which I don't understand. I'm, but that, I'm, not, I'm not even bringing it up. I'm right. not even going to talk about it. So, so we, we, we got a home opener win against Wagner, if, if all things – play out, but, but Wagner's been a respectable team. They've always been top of their conference, right? So, And, and it'll be kind of an important game for them. Let, let's be fair. I mean, Wagner's been a top 150 RPI team, so let's not sleep on Wagner out of the gate, but well, okay. Our, uh, we're going to make a, a trip into the Midwest, into the middle of nowhere, Nebraska. So, so we're talking about the Gavit games here? Yes. Okay, so now we're in our third season of the Gavit games. We, we have a road game. Uh, that, from what I hear, is one of the more challenging buildings to play in. 
and Nebraska should have made the NCAA tournament. They were a fringe bubble team last year that, if I'm not mistaken, made a deep run in the NIT. No? And, and young teams don't travel well. And we're a relatively young team, and getting them to travel is going to be a challenge. So, so I'm, I'm intrigued by that matchup that early on. It feels like it's an early wa- you know, water uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? It's, a, it's an early litmus test for this team to see kind of you know, wh- where they're going to kind of shake out and what kind of question marks we have. If they win, I- I'm impressed. But I don't want to get too excited if they win that game because I think this, this schedule continues to get more challenging. Right. Um, we come up against St. Louis, which was kind of middle-of-the-road team in their conference. No, that's not what I'm reading. I'm reading that St. Louis is projected in almost all publications to be the number one team out of the A-10 this year. Okay, but it's still the A-10. Uh, wow, we, we just really kind of crapped on the A-10. Of course we did. I mean, the A-10 is still pretty respectable. Last year, wait, wait hang on. This is the same A-10 where without two of their starters in Rhode Island beat us last year. You had to bring up? I had to go there. You had to bring that up. I, I brought it, it up before. my Thanksgiving. And I, knew, I understand up. this, but you, we, we started the top of the show with that loss as part of our, as part of our recap. And you, you quick, how quickly we forget and we crap on St. Louis. Danny Hurley, call me, please. Okay. T- tough matchup game three right. is all I'm saying. Uh, you want a tougher matchup? Grand Canyon. A decent team last year. Yeah, everyone's going to go, really? Sorry, sorry. We're traveling for our holiday tournament right. on Thanksgiving, heading out to the West Coast where Grand Canyon is not going to have to travel that far. And does anybody – do you happen to know who the coach is at Grand Canyon? I do. I do. It's uh, Dan Marley. So so there, there's there's some cachet there, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, people don't realize Grand Canyon has been putting up like 18 to 21 seasons over the last three or four seasons under Dan. So he's got them playing competitive basketball even as an independent – I think they might have even joined a conference recently. But this is a program that's only been in existence in D1 for five years, and he's got them winning. You know, you know, and my, and we, we, we have a history of sleeping on teams like this. And, and you know, God's not going to be on our side. I believe Grand Canyon is a Catholic university, so <laughs> he's going to he's, he's gonna sit this one out. All right. Uh, now, if we win, yes, now, if we win, I, I'll be honest. I'm going to be spitting up my turkey. I mean, we lost to Rhode Island. We lost to Florida the last two Thanksgivings. This one, I, I'll puke. Right. But okay, right. so we, we so beat Grand Canyon. If we win Grand, if we beat Grand Canyon, we've got the winner of the Utah Hawaii matchup. Both can, good teams. Can we assume that Utah's beaten Hawaii? Yeah. Okay. But still, both decent teams. No, Hawaii's not a decent team. Give me, give me any historical composition Hawaii for Hawaii being good. Hawaii went 17 and 13 last Against year. Against who? Uh, they, if you're gonna get, if you're gonna tell I'm, me how I'm, good St. Louis is, I'm gonna tell you how good Hawaii is. I'm gonna go with Utah. Absolutely. On, on a chalk kind of scenario here. Outside of that, we've got the potential to play Fresno State, Miami, or Northwestern. Okay. So, that. so if if chalk plays out, you could have a Utah second round. You could have a Miami slash Northwestern type championship slash consolation game. That ultimately is a pretty decent resume building tournament. There's not the the, the David versus Goliath type matchup in there against North Carolina, but you got some good resume building wins if you play Utah and Miami and you put a couple W's up on the board. So this tournament's got some potential, but you could easily be one and two in this tournament. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And and here come the losses. They start piling up here, potentially. Okay. Uh, after that, we've got Louisville home. And who's at Louisville now? Uh, Chris Mack. And what's Chris Mack going to try to do? Uh, he's going to try to ram it down our throats for all the times we gave it to him back here when he was with Xavier. He's yeah. We kind of had his number a bit at the Rock, if you think about it. Uh, we did. Um, here's my concern. I, I would have thought that that Louisville game was ripe for the taking with all the all the chaos surrounding their program. Pageant no longer the coach. So you bring in a brand new coach who has to start from scratch, and I think we got a leg up on whoever we're playing. I don't like the fact that it's Mack. He knows us. 
I think he's he's going to put a lot of stability in that program. That's a tough game. Yeah, it is a tough game. Uh, after that, we have New Hampshire. I'm hoping that's a cupcake. Sure. Kind of a get get healthy game, if you will. You got to catch your breath once in a while in the, in the schedule. And, and, and then the game that I really am not looking forward to. I'm sorry. We're going against Kentucky. This is a, look, another opportunity to build a resume. Huge opportunity to kind of make a statement nationally. It's going to be probably, I think it's on CBS national television. But this is more of a PR game. I know that everyone's going to sit there and go, you win this year. You're kind of almost like putting the building blocks to a resume for, uh, to punch that ticket again. But I think this is more of a PR game than anything else. And I believe it's at the Garden. I know people are going to start saying, we play well at the Garden. It's our, it's our second home, right? It's our home away from home. Well, uh, this is Kentucky. <laughs> I think you're going to see a lot of blue in that stadium, and it ain't going to be Seton Hall blue. Right. This isn't Manhattan we're playing. This is Kentucky. Uh, after that, Rutgers. And Rutgers actually had a couple decent recruits come on board. No, don't, not, don't do that. No, we're not going to go down that rabbit Rutgers hole. Rutgers beat us last year. So I'm going, to they, ho- I'm going to hope that because we lost them with the roster that we have, that we do not sleep on that game. We are more talented than that Rucker roster. Please do not go there. I, I, I'm not saying we're not more talented. Were we not more talented last year? Yes, and I, I think you're on the road. They got some momentum. We did not. We took it. We took it for granted. I don't think that happens again. I, I'll be surprised if we lose the Rutgers game this year. All right. So then we have the McKnight revenge game after that. Sacred Heart. We go against Sacred Heart, and we finish up at Maryland. I, I was surprised about this inclusion of the game. It kind of came out of nowhere to to get a Maryland. Without, I don't, I don't even know if we have to do a return home and home. I think we just literally challenged ourselves to go on the road at a quality Big Ten opponent. I'm very happy about this game, but depending on how this team matures, this could be a great win. This could just be a damper on a very disappointing non-conference slate. Yep, uh, it's it's surprising that we're taking an at anywhere That's as fair. a last non-conference game. That, uh, that is true. So you I would mean, th- and you would think. Sorry to interrupt, but no, you would think a- that we would take. Kind of more of a cupcake game there, or or a getting healthy game before the Big East uh, schedule started. Look, I told you, I'm excited. I mean, you that breakdown of that game, you have about two or three cupcakes, and that's it. So, once again, if this team had the expectations of last year's roster, I'm I'm full steam ahead. With all the question marks, it could be exciting. It could be an absolute disaster. Uh, so, I I think we leave the regular season to podcast two. Or later down the line. I mean, uh, I think it's way early to start. I don't know. Look, the, the, everyone says that the Big East slate, you can do the prediction, preseason predictions, outside of Villanova at number one and maybe a, you know maybe Xavier at number two, people got anybody slotted three through nine. So I, I think until you see how teams shake out, how some of the, the, the non-conference plays out, speculating on what January is going to look like, uh, just not fair. Well, I'm going to tell you what, though. I think a lot of Big East teams got better in a hurry over this past summer. I think they did a lot better job than we did this last summer. What did what did we have this past summer? I think what we, was our major moves? I think we've had a really good podcast so far, and you're going to try to get me fired up over recruiting? Well, Are you really going to get under my skin about recruiting right now? This is where I'm going. Okay. But let, let's think about it. What are, what are basically, and you can remind me because you're the guy that keeps us in, your, in that, that mind, that computer of a mind of yours. The only two things that I see that happened this summer were, one, we gave Shavar a scally. That is correct. And two, we decided to let Manuel go. No, I should say we, we've had some more success. It's just not going to manifest in, in this current season. So I, I was happy with 
what we've done from a staffing perspective. So recruiting is not just who you get, but it's who you got out there doing the dirty work. So I love Shaw. I think Shaw did a good job, but I think we were missing out on closing the deal on some big recruits. Okay, well, let, let, let's take a look at some of the lesser teams uh, in in the league and what they did this year. So do that. Set the bar for what we've not accomplished by what everyone else has done, and then I'll tell well, you where but, I think we're going. Georgetown's going to be a lot better this year. Which is naturally. Georgetown got four, uh, three, excuse me, four-star recruits, and they got a th- another three-star recruit right out of Rutgers' backyard, which kind of made me smile until I realized he was going to Georgetown. <laughs> Nova, Nova actually had oh. a spectacular. Well, uh, no, Nova's got Nova. Nova's got what five-star recruits left and right coming. Don't they have the kid that was supposed to go to Arizona? I looked at the top hundred recruits. They've got one five-star definitely coming. They've got two four-stars coming, and I might have missed a V somewhere along the line. But they're reloading. I mean, that's just fabulous. Providence got two four-star recruits. Providence. Everyone wants to talk about how great a job Willard did taking us to three straight NCAAs. Why are we sleeping on Providence? Haven't they gone to like four or five right now? Yes. Okay. Yes, they have had a lot more success. So I I would expect them to uh, parlay that success into more recruiting. Butler loses their coach, still gets a four-star recruit. (laughs) I mean, you know, this is – Creighton got a four-star recruit. You know – that's a well-coached team. Right. So, like I said, you know I've been just like fuming about our lack of recruiting success. I- I'm gonna, I'll play the other side of the coin again. We lost our lead recruiter. Shaw takes the job at St. Peter's. You lose your main guy. Let Let's be honest. Fred Hill was a dinosaur. Fred Hill might have been doing some great recruiting work in the early Villanova years, and he was on Tommy Amaker's staff when we landed some big guys. But I think Fred was past his time. So to bring in Woodward from Mammoth. To bring in Tony Skin, I'm excited where we're going with what what we're bringing in from a youth perspective on the recruiting trails. And to be fair and balanced, we did bring in Ike Obiagu. Okay, well, that's he's what, not playing this year, but he's ne- but next year, and he looks like a beast. But you got to pronounce his name right. It, it's it's pronounced Ike. Ike. Oh, okay. It, I, I read it the other day, and I was like, okay. That's what I, I said. I, I said, okay. I mispronounced Enzi's <laughs> name until I saw him a few times, too. Uh, okay. But, Ike. But but everything says that this guy. Needs an accent marker over that fair, ego. Fair enough. But the point is, they're saying this guy is a legit seven-foot send-it-home or send return-to-sender type player. Oh, and he looks like a beast. So, I mean, they're, they're saying that he shot, he's, he's sending balls back and practice into like the 10th the row. Problem is, you're not going to get him as part of this year's development plan. So I'm I'm excited to have him on next year's roster. He is a top 100 recruit, just like Thompson was. So if you're going to get excited about Thompson being a part of this roster and say that that was a coup, recruiting-wise, in the transfer space, you could be just as excited about Obiagu. I'll be excited when Mamu develops. Obiagu is in the uh, rotation along with Thompson. That's a monster front all right, line. All right, so... so we got a high-quality big man in the transfer market. You got two new coaches that everything but he says are, are rebuilding the you know the foundation of what we're doing. I still am seeing multiple targets pass us over. I'm seeing other targets choose somebody else because we're telling them to wait until we get turned down by the targets that always turn us down. That's where I'm frustrated. You're right. There is not another high school recruit that we've added to the 2019 recruiting class. I, I, I think I just don't understand what our strategy is. I don't think we can play in the Duke, North Carolina playground. 
we can't you, know, you can't play in that space for a couple of reasons. Well, yet. but but Duval, recruiting Duval was probably a mistake. He wasn't coming. That's not fair. I, I just don't think that's fair because we talked about it. Did he fit better in the makeup of last year's team for us, or did he fit better in the makeup of Duke's team? When was the last time an 18-year-old kid cares about where he fits in as far more than what name is recruiting because, him? Because he was, we all knew he was a one-and-done. He acknowledged he was a one-and-done, but he could have been on a special team for Seton Hall running the point for one year. We weren't asking him to come be a four-year player. That team, that Duke team, was basically well, a contender for the national title. Yeah, but That's it, a special team. No, it wasn't. It's the same type of team that Duke runs out there every year. It's 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 all what? All top 100 recruits or top 20 recruits. Then, then why do guys still still keep picking Kentucky? You got you you guys have five-star recruits going to Kentucky year after year be, after year be, after year. Because they're being sold on what's the next step. They're being sold? What was that? Oh, geez. Here we go. The, the, the part of the process is what Calipari brings to the table in the next step of their development. He's selling them on the NBA and their next paycheck, their legit paycheck from the NBA. I think Coach K is playing on the same thing. Unless you win a national championship at Kentucky or Duke, the fan base does not sit there and go, but I remember Trayvon Duvall put in 20 points and kept us in that overtime game against Kansas and almost made it to the Final Four. They don't remember. Right, so are you going to worry, as an 18-year-old kid about you can make something special at a school that potentially won't even win their conference or one that's going to be winning a major conference and potentially making a national title game. I'm not agreeing with it. I'm saying I agree with you with the point of Duval would have been better off coming to the hall and playing point for us. I, I, we're, we're digressing again, as always. I, I think the, where we were going with this was where sometimes we shoot too high, right? And we're shooting at targets that are not realistic for what we can close the deal on. I thought Duvall was a one-off unique scenario that we had to go for because of that roster and the fact that we needed that type of point guard. But going forward, I'm with you. You got to stop going after the five-star guys that were probably number seven on the list realistically and go after targets that do want to come play here for four years. I get that. But, I mean, Clemson is beating us out. All right, so, 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 so why? We've got schools that shouldn't be on our radar. So, so talk to me. Like, pre- pretend you're 18 years old again. I, I for, for for taking a look at the number of grays on that on that scalp, I don't know if you can go back that far to remember what it was like to be 18 years ago. So, so I've I've read this recently, and I and I read I read this in more of an article about why Rutgers actually can't develop a good football team. And, and no, 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 seriously. Seriously. I mean, if you look at Rutgers as a school, Rutgers as a school is a decent school. It's it's got the it's got the money, it's got the space. Okay. What they say is local kids in the New Jersey, New York area wanna go away. Because they end up because because everything's so close, you end up living in these communities that are very tight and close. Kids want to move away and see something different. So I'm asking you to go back to when you were 18 years old, pretend like it was okay to move out of mommy's house and do something different. Yeah, but I chose Seton Hall. And so did I. Nine and blocks away. I, and I was a Jersey boy too and did the same. But we are not on the grand scale of the exposure that these kids get while they play high school basketball. They're traveling around the country to begin with in these national AAU tournaments. So you're going to ask that kid to stay in what, the cold weather of New Jersey? When they could go down to a Clemson and be in sunshine year round? Yeah, but where's Clemson gonna end up in their conference? 
Middle of the pack. It's still the ACC. We're not asking them to go play in the A-10, as you say. The ACC is highly overrated. The Uh, top of it's fabulous. The rest of it's garbage. But we're talking about an experience. So I I can't believe we're we're using Clemson as the baseline, but you went there. But but Clemson's still in the sunshine weather. I'm also going to a school that has an atmosphere athletically year-round that has a major Power 5 football school. Have you seen the facilities that Clemson just recently built there? What is it, like $65 million in their new state-of-the-art facility? I mean, they treat these athletes like they're God. You've been to the, to the, to the gym at Seton Hall. They call it the auxiliary gym for a reason because it's a piece of shit. Pardon my language here. No, I, I think we haven't seen it recently. Oh, so. they've upgraded the auxiliary gym. They still call it the auxiliary gym. There have been a lot of upgrades. Thank you, President Esteban. You ready for this? The gym where they actually play games. They still roll out the bleachers. I read an article the other day asking our AD, Lions, what they're doing for upgrades to the facility. And he says, we got to address the stands because every time we roll out the bleachers, we don't know if they're going to go back in. Uh, are, 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 are you kidding? As always, we're tangenting here. But, but. <laughs> are you kidding me? Yes. No, I get it. But, Wait, from, but, a, from a financial arms race, we are behind the mega power five football schools they can dump more money into their facilities and their resources they put around their program and let's not let's once again the elephant in the room again how much of that resources are getting filtered to them underneath the table as well but again what is the strategy and what are we really doing look let's go back to manuel who's going now to uh uh, Vladimir? Yeah, yeah. He's uh, going to uh, St. Joe's now. Well, I don't even know. Right. I don't know if he can pass a class right now, but How, I mean, oh, yeah, Luther Wright didn't pass a class either. Yeah. Let's not let's not fool ourselves. He spent three years on campus. But in, in the big picture, why were we chasing him for as long as we did? It, this wasn't a surprise that he can't pass a class. Or and, and let's not disparage see, the kid. I, I heard he was chasing us more than anything else. So, so here, here's what I want to see. We see. still gave him a scally. We did, and he didn't. Qu- and then all of a sudden, we backed out because of academics. At the end of the day, I want the kid that's going to come to Seton Hall, roll up their sleeves, play hard, inner city, New York City street basketball, grind it out on the defensive end, and and make it a street fight. And I want that kid to be there for four years and develop. You you want Big East basketball that we grew up with? I do. I remember watching the, the Big East Requiem for 30 for 30, where the average game, they were throwing haymakers at each other. I want that type of basketball because when you're at a disadvantage skill-wise, you have to muck it up a little bit. Oh, a- absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, we bring them tougher. They bring them tougher up in the Northeast. So, so I think if you get some of these kids that are your three-star or the lower four-star recruit and you make them the centerpiece and make them feel loved – Maybe you'll make some headway. We we both were hoping that the success of this last group, three years in the NCAA tournament, was going to transition to easier recruiting success. And it hasn't. No, no, it hasn't. Uh, and, but, you know, and I don't want to leave this on a down note. I am super excited for this team. I really am. I really want to see where we're going. I know next year it could look Real, the cupboard could be bare next year. No, we, I see. I, I think if this core stays together, this new core that we're building, and you add Ike Obiago as your center, you have Thompson stay. There's rumors that he might make this a one-year transition and leave, but if he stays and you have Mamo develop and you have Kale develop and you actually find a point guard out of one of these two guys and then you have Miles Powell as a senior, how can you not be excited for what the future holds? Right, but you're, again, that's a lot of ifs. That's like seven guys, though, that can actually be legit D1 players. 
I, I got a lot of ifs here. Okay. You got a lot of ifs. But, but and I know you're still on Mamu's bandwagon. I want to see a little. But but it comes back to where we started this conversation of expectations of the last group, not the same for this group, but a lot of exciting question marks. If this group ends up fifth or better, I am going to do a dance. I'd sign up right now. You tell uh, me they finished fifth in the Big East, I sign, I sign on the dotted line now. Oh, you, absolutely. You give me like eight and five in the non-conference, I sign up for it right now. All right. So let, let's wrap this up. We, we've been meandering... <laughs> A little too long here. A few announcements before we close this. Uh, the 10th download of this podcast will win a Left Coast Pirates t-shirt. Um, Mike, this, this actually went really well. I enjoyed it. I, um, I, I was a little skeptical coming in, but I had a lot of fun doing it. I, I, I wanted to let everyone know this was all one take, uh, surprisingly. We, uh, no, no, no. Tom is, Tom is holding back his gaff on his opening intro, but okay. I don't believe there was a gaff. I believe there was a lot of laughter. However... I had a lot of fun. Mike, you had a you seem like you had a lot of fun. So so you're saying if by popular demand they want to hear more, we'll do it again? If by popular demand, and that's if Beef asks us to do it again, will we be back around probably right after out of conference ends? Well, well, we said we were gonna do this like two years ago, so if <laughs> So in two thousand twenty one, if Beef asks us nicely We'll, we'll do it one more time. Like I said, well, I'm gonna, let, let's play it back and listen to ourselves first, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you my own opinion on that subject matter. All right. But, but I did have fun, though, yes. He's been Mike, I've been Tom, and this has been Left Coast Pirates. Uh-huh.